Well, good morning. I'm so, so thankful to uh, be here with you today, um, just as Chris said, the first Sunday of Advent. Um, what a blessing. I mean, it is a blessing to celebrate together. Uh, most of you know how much I love Christmas, and so let's just get this out of the way. How many of you, by show of hands, have your Christmas tree and decorations up already? Okay, that's good. That's pretty good. Well, just in the same way as we prepare for Christmas by putting up our tree, um, maybe some of you put lights on your house, um, decorations in your yard or inside the house, just as we do all of those things purposefully with joy to prepare ourselves for Christmas, uh, so we do the same with our hearts. That's what Advent is about. It's the prep preparation of our hearts. We're preparing for the coming of Christ. Initially, in what we celebrate each Christmas, his coming to this earth, he came here, took on flesh, and did what none of us can or could ever do. Not just that he performed great miracles, but more than that, he lived a life free from sin. He never sinned. Imagine that. A human being who never, ever sinned. And the beauty of that, what we celebrate in that, is that he came and lived that way for us. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law that we could never fulfill. He lived a sinless life that deserved eternal life. And he did that taking on our flesh, living in our world on our behalf. And so also when he died, he died on our behalf. He didn't deserve to die. We deserve that. Sin brought death into the world, but Jesus never did anything deserving death. He never, ever sinned. And yet he died willingly on our behalf so that we could have eternal life. And the Bible tells us that whoever, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever trusts in him will be saved. And that, that, that expression, will be saved, really doesn't give us the weightiness of what happens. In that great rescue rescue from sin and death, we are treated as if we lived the way that Jesus lived his entire life. We're, we're treated that way. We're counted, the Bible says, as righteous, sinless. And why is that even possible? That's possible because Jesus was treated as if he lived the way that we live our entire lives. It's why he died on the cross. And so we prepare our hearts in Advent for that. We remember that. We rejoice in it. We celebrate it. But also we prepare our hearts for him coming again. Before he left, Jesus said that he would come back. And we don't know when that will happen. It could be in our lifetime. It could be in our kids' lifetimes, 
It could be in hundreds of years. It could be in thousands of years. We don't know. But we want to be prepared for when He comes. We want to prepare our hearts for His coming. And so as we begin this Advent season, let's come with hopeful hearts. That's the theme of the first Sunday of Advent, hope. We have hope because and only because Christ came to rescue us from sin and from ourselves. The text today is in Acts. We're going to continue our study through Acts as we worship through Advent. So go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. And if you're able, as you get there, if you're able to stand, go ahead and do that. And then follow along as I read Acts 3, 11 through 16. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you, Lord. You're so kind to us. Just even consider what we've just read, Lord. You're so kind to us. So gracious. You're all-powerful. And yet in your power and your majesty, you condescend to us. So we praise you and we thank you. We ask you to lift our eyes and lift our hearts toward you today, Lord. Give us hope in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, if you are visiting with us, if you haven't been with us as we've gone through um, the book of Acts, I'm going to give you a quick catch-up here. Uh, Acts begins with Jesus leaving, ascending to the Father's right hand, and then shortly after that, the disciples who are uh, devoting themselves to praying and worshiping the Lord, the disciples are praying and worshiping together, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And so as they are worshiping God, and the Spirit fills them, they are given the ability to speak in languages they had never spoken in before. And the people who are outside of where they began, or where this began, they begin to hear them speaking in language that they themselves speak, their, their native or their heart languages, and they begin to 
gather as they're puzzled and amazed at how all of these people are speaking all of these different languages that they themselves speak. And so they come together, they gather, and Peter preaches, and 3,000 of them believe in Jesus and are saved, are rescued from sin and death. And all these believers are devoting themselves to Jesus and to each other. And then last week we saw how Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and a crippled man was laying at the gate of the temple and asked them for money. And they healed him. And he entered the temple with them, is leaping and worshiping the Lord. And that's where we pick up in the text today. We think about the hope that we have, or the hope that, that is offered to us at Advent. This is such a good picture for us. This whole scene is a picture of hope. Verse 11, it says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. It's such a wonderful scene. Here's this man who just moments before this is laying crippled at the gate of the temple. And now, welcome and walking and leaping and jumping inside. And he's clinging to Peter and John. He's ecstatic. He's grateful. Rejoicing in the new life that he's just been granted in Jesus. And all of the people, probably many who, who didn't actually see the miracle take place, but knew who this man was because they had passed him every day, laying there next to the temple, begging for money. All the people, it says, are amazed. It says the people were utterly astounded, and they run together, joining with Peter and John and this healed man in Solomon's portico, and that's a, that's a roofed area in the temple complex, and it's where the followers of Jesus would, would regularly meet. In fact, we know from Acts 2, uh, verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and, with glad and generous hearts, and then chapter 5, verse 12 is going to tell us where that's at. Now, many signs and wonders were regular regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. So, portico. so here's this roofed area along the out part, outer part of the inside of the temple area, and they're gathered there together. And this is the same place that Jesus taught his disciples just a few weeks earlier. Jesus would have been standing there teaching. So now Peter and John and this once crippled man are there and all of these people are gathering around. And verse 12 continues, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? At this point, Peter takes the initiative to address the people. And he gives a sermon. Now we're going to break this short sermon of his up into three parts. We're going we're gonna to look at this this week and then the next two weeks as part of Advent. And we can do that not just because I talk a lot, but because there are things within this that are so relevant and significant for us 
and for Advent, as we consider Advent and the hope that we have in Christ. But notice right away here in this uh, short sermon that he gives, that we find out is interrupted shortly after he starts it. But notice right away, Peter is taking the opportunity that he has because of this miracle to preach the gospel. He wants to use the opportunity to tell people about Jesus or to, to point people toward Jesus. And that's what he does. He begins by saying, men of Israel. It's like him, him saying, fellow Israelites or, or my brothers. Why do you wonder at this? Or, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? This is wonderful. Because what is, what is Peter doing right off the bat? He's standing before this crowd who has rushed together because they know these two guys have, have done this great miracle and healed this man who couldn't walk his entire life, and now he's walking and leaping and jumping around. They're rushing together to these two people to find out what in the world is going on. And Peter begins by saying, hey, this is not us. This is Jesus. We didn't do this. This is Jesus. And so immediately... He's putting all of the attention on where it belongs, on Christ. All glory goes to Jesus. In fact, you look at what he says. Why are you staring at us? Why are you amazed at us? As though it was by our own power or piety that we made this man walk. He's saying, listen, we are followers of Jesus. We need Jesus. Jesus doesn't need us to do these things. We need Jesus. So why are you amazed at us? We could never have the power in and of ourselves to heal someone. We couldn't do this. We could never be pious enough. We, could, we couldn't be devoted enough people to, to accomplish something like this ourselves, to heal someone. That's not the gospel. Peter says it wasn't our power. It wasn't our piety that accomplished anything. And this is a good time to remind ourselves of this. You cannot, I cannot, you cannot be saved. You cannot sway God one direction or the other because of your power or your piety. Because you are so good of a person, or so devoted, or so whatever. God has never and does not now look at your works or evaluate your worth based on your abilities. Paul tells us that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He writes to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's exactly what Peter and John are displaying here. This is not us. It's not anything that we could do. This was a gift 
from God and God alone. Don't think, don't think this great wonder happened because of anything in us. We could never, ever earn God's favor. You could never earn God's favor. I can never earn God's favor. It's grace. God's just really, really, really gracious. And he points them to Jesus. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Peter gives glory to God, the God of the nation Israel, the God who made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, the God of our fathers. He identifies himself with these people, with his Jewish audience. He's not, he's not doing that as some, some ploy in preaching to get attention from them so that maybe they'll be coerced in a certain direction. He's saying that because it's truth. Peter and the apostles never stopped being Jewish or worshiping Yahweh or reading the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, this way of referring to God is actually a quotation. In Exodus chapter 3, which is a famous passage that Peter knows his hearers will know and understand the reference to, in Exodus 3 verse 6 it says, And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then a few verses later in Exodus 3.15, it says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now there in Exodus 3 is the moment when God calls Moses at the burning bush and tells him to go back from the desert into Egypt and to lead the people out from slavery into freedom. He sends Moses on a rescue mission. And God assures Moses that it it isn't just some odd experience that he's having there at the burning bush. This really is Israel's God speaking, Abraham's God, the God who made promises about the ancestors of the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt at that time. And he's saying that those promises are all about to come true. And now Peter, quoting that, referring to that as saying, that's what's happening here. That's happening again. God is rescuing His people. God's doing this. Peter says, it's not us. God is doing this great rescuing work. He says there in, in verse 13 that God, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when He had decided to release Him. Now, a couple things here. Peter says to them that God glorified His servant Jesus. Again, this is a 
reference to the Hebrew Scriptures. It's Peter conjuring in their minds what they knew, the Scriptures that they had memorized and hoped in. We don't want to forget this. These Israelites, although they, they, they don't know Jesus yet, but they loved God and they loved His Word. They loved the Scriptures. They had memorized much of the Hebrew Scriptures. They hoped in the passages that told of a coming Messiah, but they were blind to the fact that Messiah had come. And Peter is reminding them of these passages that, hoped, that they had hoped in and helping them to see that they all pointed to Jesus. The reference here comes from Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 53, 12. Isaiah wrote about the Messiah and referred to Him as an innocent servant. The beginning of that text in Isaiah 52, verse 13, it refers to the Messiah as a servant who will be glorified. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And that text, as it continues through chapter 53, verse 12, which is a song, the servant experiences great suffering. Whoever the servant is that it's referring to in Isaiah 52 and 53 experiences great suffering and bears the sins of others. And that suffering brings about redemption and healing and the servant is vindicated. Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. And Peter's saying, that's what's happening. And that's what's happened. And, and at this point, Peter begins to accuse them. Now, before we get into this section of accusation, we have to read this and interpret it, remembering that Peter has identified himself with these people. And so, again, just as I mentioned a few weeks ago, this is, this is a text that has been abused, but it's not one that should be used as a weapon for anti-Semitic teaching, thoughts, or any kind of beliefs. But Peter does say here, he implicates them in the death of Jesus. In verses 14 and 15, it continues, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. They handed Jesus over, it says in verse 13. They denied Him when Pilate was prepared to let Him go. They disowned Him, even though He was the holy and righteous one. They asked for a murderer to be released instead of Jesus, and they killed Jesus, even though He was the author of life. That must have been very difficult to hear, jarring. But also remember the context. A man has been healed. The people are in awe and wondering what in the world has happened here. And Peter is pointing them to God and to Jesus, the Son of God, who, 
came to take away their sins. And he reminds them that this Jesus, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, they denied. They saw him put to death. They wanted that. They chose a murderer instead of Jesus. And we know from Luke's first book, the Gospel of Luke, that it was the council of the elders of the people, both chief priests and the teachers of the law, who interrogated and indicted Jesus and took him to Pilate to stand trial. Now, surely, they didn't realize that they favored a murderer over the holy and righteous one. We're going to learn that Peter says the same thing later in the sermon. But surely they didn't realize that they favored a murderer over the holy and righteous one. In their minds and in their hearts, they loved God. They thought they were in the right. Jesus is holy and righteous. Peter is saying to them here, He's set apart. He's set apart in love. He's set apart in truth. He's set apart in grace. He's set apart in mercy. He's set apart in kindness. He's set apart in power. And he's righteous. He's completely innocent and always fully, completely right. Jesus is rightness. Surely they didn't know that they had killed the author of life. Just consider that picture that's painted with with Peter's words there. They killed the author of life. Wherever Jesus is, there is life. He brings new life. Life that says God reigns. Peter says you killed the author of life. But but we know because he is the author of life, he couldn't stay dead. He died for a purpose. But that purpose wasn't complete in death. It was completed in life. The purpose was life. God raised him from the dead. And Peter says we know this to be true because we saw it. We're witnesses of this. The apostles and Many other followers of Jesus are witnesses of the risen Christ. And then verse 16, in His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now Peter is direct in how this happened, how this man was healed. It's the name of Jesus through faith in Jesus' name that has done this. By faith in the name of Jesus, we have hope, Peter's saying. This man is now made strong. Peter says, you know him, referring to the man. You see and know who he is. You know who he was. And 
and what he was like. But God, through faith in Jesus, has rescued him. He's given the man this perfect health. Wonderful. It's all about Jesus. That's Peter's message. It's all about Jesus. As we consider Jesus this first Sunday of Advent, he still does this. He still rescues. Consider the names of Jesus and how he's identified and set apart in just this short text. A servant who left heaven, stepped into our world and put on our flesh and suffered and died. A servant glorified, given the name above every name. The holy and righteous one. The author of life. And so what about us? How does this teach us? Where does this lead us? We're simply called to hope in Him. It's in His name, Peter said. Faith in His name. How can we not hope in this God? This Christmas and always, shouldn't we hope in the author of life? Wherever Jesus is, there is life. And yes, this world is difficult. There's so many things that can pull our attention away from Jesus, the glorified servant who is holy and righteous and the author of life. That's true. But those things don't make him less worthy. Advent is about preparing our hearts for Him. What better thing could we do than that? And we're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. As we do, let's just ask the question, why should we hope in the author of life? Why should we hope in Jesus? And one reason is because of something that's mentioned so quickly in this text. People, Peter, Peter says that people asked for a murderer to be granted to them instead of Jesus. That murderer was Barabbas. They, they wanted the murderer to go free and for Jesus to die. And the truth is, that's what Jesus wanted too. For different reasons. But that's what Jesus wanted too. It's why he came. He died in the place of the murderer Barabbas. You picture that scene as Barabbas is let go, unchained, and descends into the crowd of people while Jesus is abused and tortured and killed. You have this literal terrorist who is unchained and set free and walks in and joins the mass of people and Jesus, the innocent one, is, is tortured and murdered. It's a picture of the gospel. We are Barabbas too. 
Jesus stood there in Barabbas' place where Barabbas deserved to be, and he stood there in our place. The author of life laid down his life for us. His body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as you come and you receive the bread and the cup and you go back to your seats, let's do this with great hope. Hope in the author of life. The author of life that Peter writes about, have this, or that um, Paul writes about in Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. We praise you for Jesus. And we confess to you, Lord, there are so many times in every single one of our days where we are distracted, where our eyes are taken away from, or we, we just turn away from the author of life. Where we delight in other things. And so help us, Lord. Help us to be people who truly see and know that you are worthy, that you are holy and righteous, that you're glorified, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that you chose to come, to put on flesh, to dwell among us, to give your life for us. And help us, Lord, to hope in you knowing that you've promised that whoever does, whoever believes, whoever trusts in you, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, will be forgiven, will be saved, rescued from ourselves, from sin, from death, and with you forever and ever. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.